I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Clive Anderson's Seven Wonders. Please welcome to the stage, Clive Anderson. Thank you very much. I almost got caught out there. I was just turning my phone off. I I hadn't done that. Nothing worse than the person on stage getting a call as well. Thank you so much uh, for coming, Laurie. This is uh, My Seven Wonders. And the guest I'm about to bring on is, uh, I think, think pretty much the best guest you could possibly hope to do this with. Uh, Mind you, I say that about everybody. But uh, in in this case, it's true. Uh, Mind you, I say that about everybody as well. But uh, uh, he's, uh, well, he's a comedian, but he's also an actor, a writer, uh, all sorts of former. And uh, and I'm sure... Sure, you'll know him uh, and uh, like him uh, a great deal. And it's uh, David O'Doherty. Wow. You changed your name, didn't you? You were David Doherty. And then you put an extra, it didn't sound quite Irish enough for you. So you. The reverse of that is in fact true. Uh, my father is a jazz musician yes. in Ireland, and in the sixties, he we are O'Doherty is the official family name. Yeah. And in the sixties, someone decided a great way of streamlining it and making it sound more like Cannonball Adderley or Thelonious Monk yeah. was to drop the O from it. So he's just Jim Doherty. But right. I'm staying true to you've the, restored. Uh, you've restored the original name. The uh, it's yeah. and it's got a nice onomatopoeic. Is that onomatopoeic? David O'Doherty. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of internal rhythms and rhymes. Yeah. Onomatopoeic means that the, the, the name or the word sounds like the thing it's describing. And obviously it does because it describes you. Because <laughs> uh, <the laughs> What did I mean to say? Uh, alliterative? Uh, oh, it's alliterative. Yes, it's, that's there uh, you could do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it's, I think, this is an interesting start with... Uh, <laughs> Say interesting. Uh, it's a matter of opinion, I suppose. David, people might know you from uh, from those sort of panel show, you know, comedy panel shows. I think you've been on pretty well all of them. Um, you know, would I lie to you? Uh, eight out of ten cats. Eight out of ten cats does countdown. Would I lie to you? Does Newsnight? You know, those. Uh, those. Which of those? You look pretty comfortable on all of them. But which would you say be your favourite one of those? The one that plays to your strengths? Would you say? Um, I think the. Pure, unprepared lying. The assassin's coldness of would I lie yes, to you? Yeah. Because you, uh, there's no preparation for it whatsoever. You yeah. open the card yeah. and you then pretend that this is yeah. in fact the truth. And then I had an, uh, an added really enjoyable one on an episode of that where I brought on a friend of mine who I founded a detective agency when I was nine years old. Yeah. And uh, Mark, who was my second investigator, uh, was there and everyone claimed to have a different relationship with Mark. But I was the one who was able to reminisce about how in 1985, Mark and I had called down to Irish Town Police Station to ask them if they had any any spare mysteries to be solved. Yeah. (laughs) And... (laughs) This, I mean, there were all sorts going on in Ireland yeah. at that time, as yeah. if we were going to be sent in to infiltrate the IRA or something. Yes. But uh, they told us uh, they didn't have any mysteries, but they gave us a lot of forms that we could fill in. Yeah. So that's generally uh, the detective. As we couldn't get any cases in the detective agency, we would get mortgage applications and forms from the police station yeah. and fill them in and just look at each other and go, Ugh, admin. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably nobody spotted that as a, as a true story because uh, it's not very believable, even as you're saying it now. <laughs> no, all right. Uh, now, so I've got in front of me your, your list of wonders in case you're going to try and change your mind or you've uh, forgotten what they are. Um, so these are the wonders of the world, the, yes. the, the one, absolutely wonderful things, according to you. The first one, your first wonder is fixing bicycles. Yes. Not not riding bicycles, not admiring bicycles, but the actual get down and dirty uh, fixing the bicycle. Yeah, there's a sort of a perfect puzzle thing to a bicycle. I mean, I should preface this by saying 
at a party, if I have three drinks mm. and there's a bicycle in the vicinity that needs to be repaired, yes. I will get out kitchen knives and all the rest. Yeah. And I cannot leave that party till this bicycle. So often, five minutes work on a bicycle makes it over 1,000 times better. Yes. And I, so I wanted to be a professional cyclist in my teens. Hang on, I just want to picture you at the party. So some people get drunk, they become violent. Some people get <laughs> voluble. Some people get amorous. But you, oh, I'm looking for the the sexiest bicycle in the room and I'll I'll pump up its tires. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> to to 100 psi. PSI, I love you. Yes. Let's just say that. Yeah. And uh, we uh, I, I worked in a bike shop. Yeah. And that was that's the only job I've had, Clive, apart from whatever it is that I do now that yeah. no one can quite describe. Well, uh, it, well, at the moment, it's talking about working in a bike shop, so that's uh, which is but, better. It's better than doing it. I don't know, but not according to you. Does it? Well, there's a dream of working in a bike shop that people imagine it's going to be constant problem solving, where yeah. someone's going to rush in on a carbon bike and be like, "I'm in the middle of a race. Yeah. Can you tune my brakes?" Yeah. Whereas the reality is, people go in going, "I don't really know. It sounds like it's haunted." <laughs> and you just have to ride it around the block yeah. till you've realized that the everything's squeaking yeah. off itself and cover it in WD-40. Eight quid, please. Thank you. So, so I'm assuming you're a fan of bikes generally. Do, do you, you ride a bike? I think you've made a TV program yeah, taking I, people around the countryside. I have 18 bicycles. 18 bicycles. Yeah, I, I feel there are worse vices to have. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I got yeah. Uh, my lockdown project was to rebuild Stephen Roach's 1987 Tour de France winning bike part by part oh, wow. from um, eBay. Yes. And uh, I managed to do that yeah. and finished it and cycled it around the block and thought, was that worth it? <laughs> and yes, yeah. it is. And when I say 18 bikes, these bikes are not mounted on the walls. They're no. all good to go on yes. any given day. Whatever a yeah. bike is throwing at me, I can be like, this is the day for Moreno Argentine's 1986 World Championship winning Bianchi. And we will ride it to the shops and back. Right. And so that's a stirring test for this Italian stallion. So, so do you think if, if you'd become a rock star, You'd, you'd have now a collection of vintage cars or racing cars or things. You know, get, you know how some of those really rich guys have that sort of thing. But for the world of comedy, you've got plenty of money to buy what sound like smart bikes. But, uh, but by that logic, if I was in an industry where I earned less than this, say mm. I was a very, very successful, say, jazz musician, yeah. then I might just have 18 roller skates yes. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, did you start on roller skates? Was that the entry drug to your addiction to bikes? You know, I do. I remember not being able to cycle yes. before uh, that and thinking I will never be. Able. Uh, I, uh, there's a magic to bicycles. Physics, let's not yeah. forget, still can't explain why bicycles. The New Scientist runs this article once a year. Yes. They don't know why bicycles stay upright. Yeah. It's a, an argument between geoscopic force and yeah. momentum. So it's like looking at it as a kid, I, I was thinking, yeah. how do they do? Are there magnets under the road? Yeah. Is it yeah. strings attached to seagulls? What's going on? It only works if you keep going. You, 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 you got, just sitting on it, you fall over. But as long as you keep moving, it's quite easy for most people to, to bicycle. Yeah, I mean, there's more to it than that. But uh, <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking for a sort of point of agreement with you because I'm not a big fan of bikes. I had a quite a bad bike accident when I was young. and I, I did cycle on after that. But uh, And I can remember as a parent, one of the worst things about being a parent is teaching your child to cycle because it's very bad on the back. Those early times when you've just got to push them a bit. So I have and then you see cyclists now going all over the place on the road. And it's uh, it's. it's quite literally the most magical memory I have of my father teaching me how to ride a bike. And now I realize, uh, as I cycled off into the distance, he was just like, oh, me back. Yes. Oh, <laughs> waste of time. That's true. But he's a jazz musician. Did he teach you how to play, you know, the bell particularly well as you went along in a, in a sort of a syncopated rhythm? It syncopated, yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, so, so bicycles have always uh, been there. And then during the lockdown... I fixed everyone's bike on the road. Right. Uh, my neighbor, uh, a 92-year-old retired magician, 
uh, which is uh, <laughs> yes. He oh, so this is Tony. He passed away in the last lockdown, oh. but he was one of my uh, best friends. And the two lines I always think of with him, I asked him if he was still doing gigs. Yeah, because uh, he was ninety-two. Yeah, and he said he occasionally went round to old folks' homes. Yeah, and he said the line, "David, you never really retire from magic." Yes. And I don't have a tattoo, but if I ever got one, I think it yeah. might say that. Yeah. Um, and then the other line of his that I think about is our road in Dublin. We have a street party every year and you have to get up and do a turn. Mm. So I'll read a, a, a story that I've written to the kids or whatever. And Tony gets up and usually does some magic. But the last year we did it, I said, Tony, you're going to do some magic. And he said, to be honest, David, it's a bit windy for illusions. <laughs> <laughs> Something very profound yeah. in that as well. Uh, I'm very, I'm very drawn to him, uh, and a bit of me is wishing you made him your your first wonder <laughs> rather than, uh, but uh, as a sort of tribute. But uh, anyway, so coming to lockdown uh, brings, I think, us neatly to the second wonder, which is how should I pronounce it? Achill Island. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, it's an island off uh, County Mayo, uh, jutting into the Atlantic Ocean. I would say it's the most beautiful place on Earth, but that beauty comes at a horrific cost. Yes. It's just so harsh. Yeah. And so on the 15th of March, uh, 2020, when you were opening your Macbeth play... And closing it. <laughs> uh, 83-year-old uh, Jim and Anne. Uh, my father's a jazz musician. My mother is the full-time carer for a jazz musician. And <laughs> we moved to the island. My grandmother had lived there. Yes. So we were just going down for two weeks, just till the pandemic blew over. And... Yeah. Fast forward to July, still there. Yes. <laughs> and we stayed down there till August. And it's, uh, it's, it's a beautiful place, but it was a, a very magical time. Something about moving back in with your parents 23 years after you moved out with yeah. them in, uh, in such a, an incredibly bleak and beautiful. I remember the day that the basking sharks came inshore then yeah. and they're, you know, 30 feet long, just, just swimming around the bay. It was the day I decided to go for a swim. <laughs> immediately went back up to the house with my little cocktail sausage yeah. towel under my arm going not today yeah so uh, but it's an island but it's, it's, it's a reasonably big island there are there shops pubs other things there yeah it's the biggest island uh, off Ireland uh, but that's not saying much it's 12 miles by 7 miles it has a, a travelling bank is one of my favourite details right. it doesn't have a full time branch no. on the island and so during the first lockdown I wrote a book for children called The Summer I Robbed a Bank uh, that won Irish Children's Book of the Year this year. Oh, well, and, yeah. uh, it uh, was about my, uh, I would say, preteen fantasies of robbing the city kids come down, my brother and I, and we just spent so much time thinking about how we would rob the travelling bank on yeah. the island. Well, you just get the keys, don't you, and, and drive it away. <laughs> is, that, is that too easy? Yeah, that's too easy. The, the original plan was... The, do you know those, uh, don't tell me you were burrowing under the road to come up <laughs> un, underneath it. <laughs> uh, the... Uh, the the boat distress signals, you know, the purple smoke thing. Yes. So yeah. The plan was Mark would go in with one of those in his bag mm. and at some point just sort of zip open the sports bag. Yes. And soon the traveling bank would fill with purple smoke. And then I would, this was the original plan. Yes. I yeah. would run in and just grab the money mm. and they would, ne it's, it was the perfect crime. Yeah. Are, are we still talking about a plot of a book or an actual plan <laughs> that came to your head? <laughs> this was the plan when we were about eight or nine. All oh, right. And okay. that developed over time. Yeah. And in the end, the plot of the book was another uh, plan of ours where we would dress as sheep and uh, cause uh, a blockage of sheep in the road in the middle yeah. of the bog. Yes. Where there's no mobile phone reception or anything. Yeah. And then suddenly they, when they got out to hoosh the sheep away, we would run back in and steal the van. So uh, <laughs> this, uh, I'm a criminal as well as everything else. You're criminal, you're criminal minded, but that's, that's a, that would be a difficult crime to report, isn't it? We got out because there's some sheep in the road and then two of the sheep got into <laughs> and drove our bank away. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't be yeah. that extraordinary by the standards of the island. Yeah. The, one of the most one of the most famous things about the island was the uh, a man was uh, given the land in the nineteenth uh, century. Uh, Captain Boycott of Newcastle mm. was given the island and the surrounding area, and he wasn't terribly nice to the tenants. And one year they refused to take in the harvest. 
And the Times reported it and said that they were boycotting him. Yes. And so the word boycott comes from... Now is a name for a grumpy old Yorkshire cricketer. So that's... That's where that comes from. That's where the word comes That's where the word comes from. Yeah, from the island. You do then live in constant fear knowing that story that your name could become a verb one day. And what yeah. would two O'Doherty mean? <laughs> is, <laughs> I'd give that bathroom a minute. I've O'Doherty quite badly in there. <laughs> yes, yeah, like being sent to Coventry is, is a similar thing. You know. it, where's, where does that come from? Uh, it, I think it's something to do with the, let's say they were royalist troops being sent to a, a parliamentary town or something. I'm making this up as I go along. But, so, <laughs> but it's somebody being sent to sort of garrison something at a time when they... Uh, the other side were there. So being sent to Coventry meant nobody would talk to you when you got there. So you were, that's, that's that expression. So boycott and Coventry, there must be some other nasty ones. Can we think of any more? Maybe not. The, yeah. My favourite swimming spot in Dublin, uh, if anyone uh, from Ireland is here, is called uh, the 40 Foot. It's a, a place just off uh, Sandy Cove. And so when the British Army left Ireland, those who were close to retirement age were just given their wages for the last whatever retirement age, 60 probably for the army in the 1920s. And uh, one man uh, very happily went for a swim every day and would sit out in the sun. And he was called Riley. And it's believed that's where the life of Riley comes from, him at the 40 foot. That's that's the sound you want from a comedy audience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. It's educational as well as funny. That's Be, because, it. Yeah. Where does luck of the Irish come from? Because over the centuries, Irish people haven't always had the greatest of luck. It's been a dismal yeah, place yeah. for <laughs> thousands of years. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, maybe it's some guy called Irish then. The, uh, I do. Uh, it, it's nice to be doing this in person with you. And you, because I was doing Zoom comedy and you were recording this as Zooms. Yes. And the problem there is my home in Dublin. The walls are quite thin. So the neighbours could definitely hear me doing comedy gigs yeah. to no one. All right. And what were they thinking? That I just lined up all of my teddies and my, <laughs> my 18 bicycles and yeah. just... Yeah. They didn't hammer on the walls and heckle you and say, get off, David, go and do a sensible... Get back to mending bicycles. <laughs> all right, so that's, uh, that's uh, Achill Island. I, I think you've sold it to us as a place to visit rather than a place to stay for months on end. But uh, Yes, yeah. during the summer. I is, think. It a, is it a holiday place? Do people go there and just uh, swim with the, yeah, swim people, the sharks? People... Uh, Achill was never exactly sure what it was for. Uh, there was yeah. some fishing and yes. there was lots of drinking of pints. And then uh, recently it's turned out it's one of the most perfect spots in the world for a sport called kite surfing, where you attach a surfboard to your feet. And uh, it's it's so they have a round of the world championships there every year. And that's quite a change from in the past, but it was just mostly uh, Olympic drinking that went on (laughs) there. I'm nodding about you know kite kite uh, surfing. I'm sort of giving the impression I know what it is, and I and I do it every other weekend, uh, but I haven't ever done it. Oh, that's a difficult. Can't even keep balance on a chair. Uh, now let's go on. Let's go on to a third, your third uh, wonder, uh, and this is uh, well, it's not a million miles from Akilana, I suppose. And it's your great grandmother called Kitty O'Doherty. Yes. So tell tell us about Kitty O'Doherty. Well, my grandfather uh, passed away in 2006, and just before he died, he wrote a book about his parents, uh, and we knew some of it, uh, but they were revolutionaries during the revolutionary period in Ireland, Mm. 1916 to 1922, and Kitty O'Doherty, my uh, great-grandmother, it turned out was this rogue element who the cops generally wouldn't stop ladies uh, walking around the city and, yeah. you know, with guns hidden up their skirts and whatnot. Mm. And yeah, it culminated in 1921. My, or 1920, my great grandfather was, uh, there was a few assassination attempts on him. So they moved to Philadelphia where they lived for three years. And my great grandmother came back with $50,000 sewn into her corset that was used to set up the first parliament in Ireland then. So she's not a well-known figure, but she's one of those, uh, fascinating, uh, underappreciated, especially because the revolutionary period in Ireland is seen as a real sausage fest and it's just the the 20 guys are celebrated, but there's yeah. intriguing figures. Oh, that's really my sausage fest. Yeah. yeah sorry. I, I, 
<laughs> I wasn't sure what you meant. And I'm not even sure now, but I think I know what you mean now. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, my, my, my great-grandmother then had to make money in the 20s, wrote, there was a lot of money to be made from writing autobiographies of these uh, revolutionary figures. Yeah. And she could hammer one out in about two weeks. It All was right. mostly absolute bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I like to So that's where you get your writing <laughs> skills from. <laughs> Some of it passed down. I think, yeah. I think so, yeah. And it's, it's just a fascinating thing with um, that, that revolutionary period in Ireland yeah. when people actually thought that they could, you know, reimagine what a new country was like. And I think that did feed down to the generations, to my family, in that my father's a, a jazz musician and then his uncle was... Uh, my great grandmother's son was uh, Ireland's exorcist until the 1980s. Uh, There's just one, like the official one, like the, the official, like the poet laureate, the official exorcist. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the uh, he was uh, Rome had uh, anointed him as oh, uh, as the one. Yeah. He was, preposterously, he was a professor of psychology and Ireland's exorcist. And I have no idea how yeah. those two things coexist. But uh, yeah, the authorities are... Uh, yeah. what, what I'm doing is quite vanilla by the standards of some of them. Well, it, it's quite a family you come from then. Uh, you've got highlights in, in every generation. So when you came to set off in life, I think you went to Trinity uh, Dublin. Yes. You? And I don't know what you studied. Did you study bicycles or comedy or <laughs> jazz or politics? You know, all of these things are in your family I, somewhere. I studied um, philosophy and economics to learn the price of everything, but the value of everything as well. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And, uh, <laughs> and I think I made up that joke when I was about 20. No, no, no. no. <laughs> For me, you made it up just then. <laughs> You've never said that before. Okay? <laughs> but you'll say it again. So... Um, so, so when you went to university, that that sounds like the sort of degree that people do before they go into politics or, or, or things like that. Did you have that in mind? And you get distracted into comedy or distracted into bicycles? How did it work? Unfortunately, after this podcast comes out, there'll be enough to make sure I never launch that politics career. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, my father, uh, Jazz, was the... The, fa the family business, <laughs> can you say that? Yeah. And I desperately wanted to be a, a, a jazz musician. Yes. Uh, but unfortunately, I had access to people who were very good jazz musicians of around the same age as me. Mm. And the old, you can't polish a turd, uh, comes to mind. Yes. You, you can roll it in glitter, I believe is the second part of that. <laughs> and what is a career in comedy <laughs> other than a turd rolled in glitter? <laughs> David and Artie, yeah. 7 30 yeah. p.m. assembly room. <laughs> So, but you do play some music sometimes in on those panel shows and things I'm yes. telling you about. Maybe you're, you're doing a show at the moment. I was going to ask yeah. you about just yeah. to, out of politeness. Uh, and uh, <laughs> no, no, I think it's an important thing. So you're what it's called. Woe, woe is me. It's called woe mm, is yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> and it's uh, a lot of it is about uh, living on an island with Jim and Anne uh, for eight months when none of us expected it. Yes. And the uh, thrills and spills of a two year delay to doing a show. And uh, yeah, it was a yeah. it, it, it was a, a wondrous and a magical time. in in some ways, yeah. I remember um, I found a sex aid washed up on a beach one day. And the, yeah, it's just one of those times when, you know, that movie with Tom Hanks where he finds the volleyball best friend. Yes. I was wondering, <laughs> so this became your best friend. <laughs> 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 what I, sort of aid? What sort of sex? What, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, Batteries included? I mean, what's the... I, maybe this can be edited out if it needs to be. It was one... So I, it can't be edited out for this audience. This is a, we're, do, we're doing a live show here as well as any recording. Cover, cover your ears. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it was one... So I couldn't tell what it was initially. No. Uh, so I thought it might be a telescope. And so I picked it up because yes. it looked fascinating. And it had been at sea for years, so it had come off a trawler or something. And it, had, it was open at one end yes. and had some barnacles on the other end. And barnacles. I, I, yeah. <laughs> the worst STD of all. Uh, and you can't so get rid of them. I, I, <laughs> 
<laughs> I uh, I wanted to. I, I, it's it's rare that you find a thing on a beach and you've no idea what it is. Yes, I've been holding it for some time. So I got out of my key and started knocking off the barnacles. And in glint under the sunlight, I could see the maker's name. Yeah, and it was uh, one called a flashlight. Uh, which is it's a it's not really a sex aid. It's that sounds more, like a that sounds like a posh torch. It's a flashlight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's very it's very posh. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you, yeah, the gentleman places uh, himself inside it. Yes. And it, uh, do you know a, a tube of Pringles? It's a let's imagine it as sexy Pringles. I yes. Think. And I think you then uh, go to I, yeah. I mean. <laughs> I went through a phase of if I found something interesting on the beach, I'd bring it up to Jim and Ann. They're not very mobile. No. Look, look what I found. Yes. That was one I left on the beach. To right, be yes. <laughs> you wouldn't want a kid to bring that in for show and tell, would you, at school? <laughs> well, here we found a, a razor clam. <laughs> it looks, looks like an old starfish. And uh, what's this one? Uh, we'll deal with that next week, Jimmy. <laughs> uh, yeah. I did spend about a month trying to imagine how... It had got to, like, I want to know the scenario in which it came off the ship then. Mm. You know, whether it's the lonely sailor who yes. bought it at the bazaar in Cairo and yeah. given it a go and gone, this it makes me feel even lonelier and tossed it into the sea. Yes. Whether it's the opposite, that the sailor had just got been doing it too much and yeah. life falling apart and tossed it into the sea, or whether yeah. the captain had attached it to the bottom of the ship's steering wheel yeah. and was yeah. heading for choppy waters because yeah. that made the whole thing seem even more vibrant. Yeah. Anyway. It got tossed anyway. Is the uh, is the is the is the uh, is, is what we can be fairly sure of. Um, we're, we were talking about your great grandmother. We were uh, no, I can't. I can't. Yeah. I'm sure she would have been shocked, as uh, um, you know. I, I assume she was a very moral person, but but it is uh, to you look back with pride on her uh, her achievements and she did she set up the sort of women's. Um, movement. The, the women's revolutionary uh, movement called Common Naman in Ireland. She was one of the organizers of that, and she uh, nearly got uh, voted into the new Irish Parliament a couple of times, and then uh, was also raising six children at the same time. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sure she'd be appalled by my comedy, uh, but it was a, it was a, it was a different time, and it's funny because my. I mean, Ireland, when it got independence, went incredibly nationalistic to the point where they only wanted Irish traditional music to be played. Mm. And then I love that her grandson was my father who heard Charlie Parker <laughs> in 1952. And yes. it was like, forget all of that rubbish. Yeah. I, want to, yeah. I want to play this American music. And she did, in fairness, embrace his yeah. music to, right. to an extent. And, and uh, were you brought up in, in any way in that sort of like, do you speak uh, you know, Irish Gaelic or are you an English speaker only? Or? Well, we, we are... Uh, my branch of the family are uh, quite interesting because so my father is a jazz musician and my mother is a Protestant. Okay. Uh, yeah. And the, they weren't allowed to get married in Dublin in 1968. It was uh, the Archbishop McQuaid called it a, a mixed marriage and they were officially banned in the city at the time. That was not even, not even possible to get married. Yeah, yeah. So, so they had to yeah. get married. They found a rogue priest in the Midlands somewhere yes. who was willing to do it and not ask too many questions. But uh, yeah, I mean, it shows what a funny conservative country it was that, you know, Less these two gene pools mix and exotic yeah. changeling like David O'Doherty could yeah. emerge. What is this united colors of Benetton that is yeah. all races and none <laughs> simultaneously? Yeah. That, that, that's him. I mean, I don't think I was aware that it was not even possible to get married. It might have been sort of frowned upon or caused tension at some points, or yeah, that, you know, but uh, not to be. I'm not sure. How can you even have a rule that says you can't get married to somebody of a different religion? That's well, that's when you have a lot of priests everywhere. But then it, yeah. it was a fast. It was fascinating to grow up through the 80s and early 90s in Ireland, where the whole thing just collapsed. Yes. Uh, it took about three years, and everyone thought everyone else was very serious about it and suddenly realized, oh, yeah. so in, in 10 years, it went from the highest church attendance yeah. rates in the world to the lowest marriage rate then. And then that led up to a big a referenda uh, in the last six years in Ireland. And that really felt like the official mm. rubber stamping of the change of the guard from those old farts to uh, sl young slips of a thing like me.
Yes. All right. Well, uh, that's. Uh, I think she's been entirely fascinating. But I should have stuck with the uh, the findings on the shore because that would provide an, a neater link uh, to your next wonder, which is Jaws. <laughs> I <laughs> yes, I saw Jaws much too young. This is a uh, in my life. Yes, this is the another thing about having a jazz musician of a fa uh, for a father. There tends to be very few rules in terms of rhythm, syncopation, and watching movies when you're six. Yes, and so. Well, Jaws came out in 1975, and if you saw it then, that would be much too early in your life. Because that would have been. You, you I would weren't be, born. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I must have seen it about 81, 82. Yeah. And there's something to be said for watching uh, a psychologically uh, chilling film, because I did think about it uh, yeah. a lot. And I would draw a line from seeing Jaws then to... Uh, I've written a series of books with my friend Claudia O'Doherty of fake facts about animals. We wrote a book called 100 Facts About Sharks yes. that is uh, all complete rubbish. Uh, so is, is that a useful book to have? <laughs> it was certainly a very difficult book to market because <laughs> so 100 Facts About Sharks followed hot on the heels of 100 Facts About Pandas. And I remember one of the few morning radio spots that mm. I did for it. You sit down at some commercial radio station and the press release is just put in front of yeah. the DJ. And he, he's like, next up, we have uh, a man who's written a book of facts about uh, pandas. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you have to spend a lot of time in China researching yeah. this, David? <laughs> and I said, never been. Yeah. Okay, this is yeah. the course. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> that was the end of that uh, publicity junket. Uh, yes. But yeah, the, 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 uh, so growing up half on the island where, where my granny lived, I do remember when I was about 11, we were fishing for flatfish one day in Kim Bay that involves sitting very still. You just have the hook sitting on the bottom and you're waiting for the little tug of the turbot. Mm. And uh, suddenly the whole boat just bumped about five feet to the side and you saw the colossal arse of a 25-foot basking shark. Yeah. They swim close to the surface and they don't pay much attention to anything. Mm. And uh, let's just say six weeks later, by the time I got back to school, uh, that was bigger than Jaws. That <laughs> incident, I'd thrown a fire extinguisher in its mouth and shot it with a shotgun yeah. and it blown to smithereens. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the the sharks and the terror. It's quite hard growing up in Ireland to be killed by an animal. You have yes. to really annoy a badger. Yes. <laughs> you haven't got any snakes, have you? That's what everyone knows about Ireland. I assume it's true. St. Patrick. No... Yes. Yeah, St. Patrick. And so thorough was he. He got rid of any archaeological evidence that might ever have been snakes on the island. Yeah. And yeah. that it's not like when you're in London where you have the constant threat of snakes, where <laughs> every morning you have to shake out your boots and they all slither out the yeah. front door. Yeah. Sorry, May. <laughs> and uh, so uh, we, had, we did have these sharks that uh, weren't particularly really angry hmm. so i definitely then use that as a jumping off point right. for my uh, yeah. fake facts about sharks do you know that um nine out of ten shark attacks uh take place in water uh, <laughs> of the 10 percent that take place out of water the most common sites are uh on the decks of fishing boats uh, people falling out of bed during shark-based nightmares <laughs> and stuffed sharks falling from their mountings and crushing people in museums yeah. <laughs> Oh, they sound very plausible to me. So I, I'm certainly uh, believing them. But so, but uh, basking sharks, I, I have uh, limited experience of. They they aren't attacking kind of sharks either. No. You, you're you're okay with them. They, but basking must be some old word for can't be bothered kind of you know uh, or friendly i don't know but we just bask we just lie around here food is brought to us or something but but the jaws is about a great white shark isn't yes it? so so what what was it about the film that that um you know really attracted you because what is it about the most terrifying film ever made yeah. that terrified yeah. you david well is, is it the most i don't know it's it is terrifying but the exorcist is terrifying you know the there's a lot that there was popular big popular films like that around <laughs> about that time yeah it's definitely part i mean the music plays a huge yes, role in yeah. it and that code that you that john williams said afterwards where 
he only puts the do do in mm. when the shark is around. Yes. And your brain is secretly absorbing this. So yeah. the scenes where, you know, they're all um, having a beer in the bar and you hear the music and you know yeah. the shark's going to pop up out of the toilet. I don't remember it exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, I believe it operates on quite a high psychological level. Yeah. I think it's one of the most perfect three-act structure yes. uh, movies ever. The fact that you don't even see the shark until over halfway through mm. the movie, which we're led to believe it wasn't Spielberg's plan. It no, was, it was the machine didn't work. The, <laughs> yeah. the, the automatronic uh, jaws, flaws, they called it, rather than jaws, because it, and it was never working. So they accidentally made, uh, sometimes happens in Hollywood, uh, in fact, you accidentally make a better film by having it, it's the music, it's the anticipation, rather than seeing something which is obviously not a shark, you know, yeah. <laughs> swing around like that. Yeah, so it's, I, I consider it to be the most perfect film. Yes. Um, I enjoy Jaws and Toy Story. I think Toy Story is the other incredibly perfect film that yes. I've gone back to a lot. Whenever I'm trying to write yeah. something that gets too complicated. Um, and uh, yeah, but, but Jaws definitely yeah. left a long and lasting impression me and uh, as there's a shock did on several of the people it uh, <laughs> got it. so uh, but uh, a toy story oddly enough though did better in the sense that toy story 2 and toy story 3 are both good films as well whereas i think jaws the first film's good and after that it went yeah. downhill they yeah. drafted michael kane for jaws 3 and yeah. uh, that's a bad that's a bad <laughs> one there that's the, the the shark has lost any terror i think by that right. point Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So let's go on to um, uh, your fifth wonder, which is jazz music. Yes. So we've, I suppose we've touched on why this might be yeah. one of your wonders already. I grew up uh, hating jazz music, which is with most jazz musicians' sons and daughters. Yeah. It's why have you ruined this perfectly good song? Yes. It sounds like a blues band that have been pushed out a flight of stairs. All of yeah. that. Yeah. Especially in a... Uh, our house wasn't very big, but dad had a 17-piece big band and he used to rehearse it in the sitting room. The whole yeah, the whole group. Yeah, yeah, and I'd be upstairs yeah. trying to learn about algebra. I yes. had to go down and, can you please knock it off? <laughs> and our house was something of a safe house for... Uh, they're they're uh, hilarious. It's it's there's very few role models in the world of jazz. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be get up before school and go in to watch some cartoons and oh, Bones Jones is asleep on the couch again, Dad. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's wanted by the police, so he's staying at our house and he's he's pawned his trombone again. Yeah. So uh, so you didn't you didn't like the music and you didn't like the lifestyle or the way it, it disrupted your. What might have been a happy family atmosphere with this disruptive jazz musicians. I didn't like it at all. No. And then the gateway, unfortunately, and I, I think this is the case with a lot of uh, jazz people's kids, Steely Dan, the group. Right. Because they incorporate a lot of jazz chords. Mm. And I remember, oh, just the, the day my brother started with Steely Dan. Yeah. And just like, oh, this is even worse than jazz. This is, <laughs> this is like someone's 
ruined the Beatles here. Yeah. And then after a while, no, I remember because uh, I from our loo, you could hear the record player in my brother's bedroom. I remember thinking, oh, are you reeling in the year? Oh, yeah. what am I singing? <laughs> and from there, it was a short hop, skip and a jump into the Horace Silvers and all mm. of that kind of that up-tempo yeah. uh, 60s blue note jazz that I loved. And this this is listening to me, but were you playing as well? Presumably your father encouraged you to play, I don't know, piano, yeah. violin, whatever, uh, yes. accordion. I don't know what, what would go with that. He, he, uh, he encouraged me uh, till he then heard me play. And <laughs> then he, well, comedy was his other obsessive. So my, my father... Uh, has one of the biggest goon show collections in the world. There's, a, there's an amazing crossover between comedy and jazz. Yes. So yeah. many of the the Dankworths and all of the Tubby Hayes and yeah. all of the great London jazz musicians also crossed over into quite strange comedy stuff of the 50s or, or, and 60s. Or Humphrey Littleton, who for years pre presented, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Exactly. And, and, and yeah. was brilliant at it, yes. in addition to being a brilliant musician as well. Yes. I think, it's, I think it's the fact that jazz looks at uh, music and tries to pull it apart and have yeah. fun with the individual elements of it and comedy does that as yeah. well so it's a uh, it's there's a few irish writers there's a uh, flan o'brien is an irish writer yeah. and the amount of jazz records around the world that have been named after either characters or stories of his yeah. so there is some tie-in between those two things and uh, also i play a little keyboard in my show and if you ever just play a major seventh chord people think you are incredible at music so <laughs> i've learned that too yeah so your father had this enormous goons collection what what Reel-to-reel -reel tapes and books yes. and things, and Spike Milligan was a was a trumpeter, wasn't he? In his in his yes, time, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, the just the memory of a uh, you know, obviously growing up in a one telephone house, and you'd be looking forward to ringing one of your friends to ask uh, how to do the maths homework, and mm. I would hear my dad on the phone just going. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd know that this is going to be a two-hour conversation where they yeah. just recite goon show catchphrases to each right. other. Uh, and you didn't realize that was entering your soul. The comedy aspects was was entering it, more than the really, more than the music. I mean, this ties into the island. So, so Granny lived on the island, and it was a six-hour drive to the island, and all the way down was old comedy tapes uh, at last 1948 show oh. around the horn yeah uh, the early python stuff yes. and then goon shows and then in fairness to dad he kept listening right through to chris morris and then kevin mcaleer was probably the first of the new irish comedians in the yeah. late 80s and we had that tape as well yeah. and so it was this he was a, he was a he was always looking for the next cool thing. And did he, can, please tell me, he did come and see you perform and say, say, son, you're, you're fantastic. You're, you're in a strong tradition from Spike Milligan through Monty Python. And, <laughs> and, and now my own son is doing it. I'm proud of you. I had probably the proudest moment I've ever had at this festival was in 2014. Uh, he came over to see my show and there was a, I don't know if the audience will remember a show called The Horn Section, oh, which yeah. was uh, Horn, yeah. six of London's yeah finest yeah. jazz musicians and Alex Horn on yeah, stage. Yeah. And you got up and you wrote a bit on the day and did it at the show. So with my dad in the audience, I said that I wanted to practice the eulogy for his funeral. And <laughs> as an added bonus, seeing as he was in the room, would he come on stage and play piano along with his eulogy? Yes. So I'd written into it all these musical clues that yeah. I knew the band would get. So I talked about how um, he loved Casablanca. Casablanca is his favorite movie. Yeah. But when he was a kid, he thought it was off the coast of Brazil. So he used to try and play as time goes by as a bossa nova and i would just turn and stare at the band and they all go into you must remember this and uh, so that was the one and only time was he, he concentrating on the film when it was his favorite film is there some clues as to where it is in the world <laughs> so that was his yeah. fringe debut yeah and uh, it was well that, that sounds fantastic was that didn't you win the prize that year the whatever the prize was called that year you won it i won the yeah i won the no i won it uh 
2008, I won the, right, the big award. That, that was a funny year because I was doing a kids show as well. Yeah. And when you win that uh, award, your whole run sells out. But yeah. people would see David O'Doherty and not look at in large letters after kids show. <laughs> and so I was doing a show in a room about this size. My friend Maeve and there were yeah. two beds on stage. We'd ask the audience how to get to sleep. And uh, as the audience came in, we were lying in the bed staring up. And I just remember seeing a man in a a heart of Midlothian football jersey with three pints held in the sort of yeah. the tripod of pints like yes. that and he looks out at me and just had him just going fuck's sake <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah uh, he had to sit through was the was he the only show. Yorkshire heart of Midlothian fan <laughs> in the entire <laughs> I apologise yeah no okay <laughs> close enough I suppose <laughs> I actually, I'm not a bad, Edinburgh is the only accent I can do just yeah. from, which is, um, I'll ring up my brother, who's an out of work actor, yeah. uh, generally. And <laughs> I always ring him up with the promise of some great fringe. Yes. Uh, Mark, Archie McCracken here from Edinburgh Arts Workshop. <laughs> I was wondering yeah. if uh, 10 grand would be enough for you to come over and be mm. in our wee show. That's a very good Edinburgh accent, but it's not a Hearts fan, is it? That's, uh, <laughs> I think there are different bits of Edinburgh you're, you should be aiming at, but never mind. <laughs> Um, what was I going to say there? Vital thing. So, uh, so you, you, that, that was, that you're able to, to perform as it were for your father. Yeah. And he, and he was, he was proud of you and you were proud of him. Yeah, so. I think so. And I think I'd like to think there is a sort of jazzy element to my comedy in as much as I've never learned off the script and every night I just try and make it up again. Yeah. The ground up, which brings a, it's like, like what we're doing now. Here. Yes. Although you did Shambles. try and you tried to make me learn off a 200 page script for this. Yeah. <laughs> word for yeah. word. No. Yeah. Word for word. And the next right. time. Yeah. <laughs> Plus the accents. <laughs> no, uh, no, it's all, all very good. And anything improvised going on is always good for me. So let's go on. There is some structure because we've got to go through the, the right. six wonders and uh, the, the seven wonders. But the sixth one is creme brulee. Yes. Uh, I felt I enjoy any cooking that involves what I consider to be chemistry. You yeah. know, uh, uh, carbonara would be a classic example mm -hmm. where in that glorious 30 seconds when you drop the goo into the, yeah. the warm pasta, yes. you're like, oh, I've absolutely ruined. <gasps> oh. <laughs> Magic has happened. Yes. Yeah. And uh, creme brulee is one of those. Uh, as a kid, I used to fantasize because it, it always comes in quite a small dish. Mm. I would think I could eat any amount to the point where I remember having a fantasy about diving into a swimming pool of creme brulee, yeah. which would be frightening because your fingertips would touch it and you would think it was cement yes. just for a moment. And then um, it would go crackle and, and in you'd go. Straight through that. Yes. Uh, but, uh, and then, uh, well, so what nearly undid it with me and creme brulee was I tried to make creme brulee. Yeah. And then you realize it's just scrambled eggs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you make it badly, uh, yeah. like many things, it's just scrambled eggs is all it is. Yeah. And so I went off it for a few years, but uh, recently I've come back and I'm here to launch my new app with yeah. you, yes. which is called Creme Brule App. <laughs> and it's a similar thing. Just when you touch the screen of your phone, yeah. you just get that lovely sound yeah. of the, the spoon cracking through. I think it would... Does the screen of the phone break at that yeah. point? To give, give that <laughs> and your phone is full of goo as yes, well. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but so of all the things in the world and of all the puddings, uh, you, you choose that one because you, you like the... Is the excitement of that crackle on the top or it's the, the custody taste or... I, I feel... Or, I don't want to uh, take this so seriously, but I do want to know why, why this one... Puddings is it. one of the classic Irish-English uh, slightly different meanings because, of course, we have dreadful black pudding and white pudding. Right. Uh, whereas for you, it is just a fun desserts as opposed to just death blood of the ox. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, 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 th I thought I, I do enjoy a dessert. And then particularly at the at this time of year doing all these shows, I convinced myself that I need a dessert every night or yeah. I may die on stage. Yeah. You know that thing where the person, do you want to see the dessert menu? Yeah. And I just, for a moment, just glimpse me lying there and a doctor with a stethoscope just shaking his head going, he should have had a panna cotta. Yes. 
And so uh, I'm eating quite a lot of uh, creme brulee. I don't want to make it look like I didn't spend months working on this list, yeah. but I was eating a creme brulee when I wrote that up. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's a perfectly good thing to have on this. <laughs> it's a pudding with a bit of a, at least a ledge history or maybe a false history because in Cambridge, it's always claimed it was invented by accident in wow. tr in the kitchens of Trinity College. Wow. Um, and But I'm not quite sure how that could be true because but the, the idea is they were making just, you know, some sort of ordinary um, creme, you know, something yeah. and then they happened to want to keep it warm or they shoved it somewhere and it uh, it uh, formed on the top that but that's the that's the suggestion but it's it's not supported by anybody else the uh, um other, other people say it was invented in france sounds more likely the, uh, yeah the name certainly does yes, yeah yeah the, well, it's, well it can be it was called cambridge or trinity burnt cream at some point oh really um, but that sounds like it was just a literal translation of creme brulee i wonder if that was the same time when penicillin was accidentally invented as as well yes maybe many of the foods yeah. and medicines we know and love strepsils were invented yeah. when someone left some pastilles out in the sun yeah. for a year yeah. <laughs> I think so. well all sorts of foodstuffs how do they how did anyone come up with it you know uh, some of these these vegetables that you have to boil fry toast and get all the poison up before you can eat it how did they do lots of experiments and yeah. say granny and uh, everyone's <laughs> died really this we've tried one more go on this we've boiled it three times you're quite old anyway see if you're and if she made it through the night. We've discovered a new foodstuff, but we've got to boil it three times, not twice. <laughs> yeah, the first person to dredge up an unfortunate lobster from the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. I was like, I have an idea for this. Let's boil it alive. Yeah. <laughs> and then hit it with a hammer. Yes. And charge 40 quid a portion yeah. of it. <laughs> But, but so all those things, you know, getting, you know, bits of grass and then smashing up the grain that people used to eat acorns and you have to you have to get all the, the tannins out of an acorn and then crush it down. And that for centuries, people ate uh, acorn food and that kept people alive. Wow. Yeah. No, no. This I've... is another one of those. Hmm. Rather than the funniest. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, will uh, fight anyone to the death that uh, creme brulee is the finest of the standard desserts. I mean, tiramisu, you've got tiramisu, fine. Yes. Sometimes the coffee kick and that isn't quite what you're looking for. Okay. Uh, banoffee, yeah. but then yeah. when you learn how to make banoffee, you realize it's just some ingredients thrown in a thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can say that about... Well, anything, really. <laughs> <laughs> but what some, something like an apple pie or something like that, Would that, is that too dull for you? Yeah, I don't believe in cooked fruit. <laughs> I, I don't have many principles. Is it some weird religious thing that you've been brought up to? I just uh, they're, they're they're sweet enough. I've I've never yeah. I've just always I'll I'll have the apple. I'll peel the sticker off and yeah. eat it. Uh, but cook it. It feels something transgressive about that. No no no. no. Yeah. Not, I'm not having that at all. I cook cook a turnip. Eat an apple raw. That's the, on the O'Doherty coat of oh, arms. Yes. That's, yeah. I think it was Kitty O'Doherty that made that up and put it out. Okay. I'm sure the, the opposing religious group who insist upon eating turnips raw and cooking apples, I think you've got it over them. But uh, other than that, I'm not with you. I don't think. Look, we've got one more, uh, one more um, wonder to do. And you've selected... Uh, a local reference, I suppose, to the the Edinburgh Fringe. You've you've selected that. So yeah. so other than encouraging everybody here to enjoy themselves, why have you gone for the Edinburgh Fringe? It's been a, a huge part of my life now for half of my life. I came here when I was uh, 23 and I'm 46 now. And I have learned uh, so much. I'll, I will never forget Night 11 of the run in 2000 in the now burnt down part of the Gilded Balloon when there were five audience members in and they'd all won tickets on a Radio 4th FM giveaway. Yeah. And they they all walked out together, Clive. No. What, it, was, it was my first run. Yeah. And I was doing some awful rubbish. And yeah, they all walked out the door. And I wasn't sure whether, do I just keep talking <laughs> to an empty room? Treat it as a rehearsal, you know, I, just... To... <laughs> I stood there and the tech came down, mm. uh, a, a Glasgow man came down and he embraced me and yeah. he just said, big man, and go, let's go for a pint. All and right. We went and we had two pints then. 
Yeah. And the beauty of this, uh, the fact that it goes on so long, yeah. is that you do have to get back on the horse the next day. Yeah. And the next day was one of the best ones of the run. Right. Uh, so straight back in. And so then, what was weird about that now? Why were there so few people in? And why, given that they'd won the tickets... Uh, <laughs> People get things for free are almost more demanding than people who've paid. Sometimes if you've paid a lot of money to, to see something, you think, well, I must, I must make sure I enjoy it because otherwise it'll be, uh, you know, yeah. I've lost all that money. But yeah, it's I free. Don't, I know. don't know. The, 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 I mean, what I left out there was as the last one just before the door slammed, he said, you're shy. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I felt it was more emotional, the story, if yeah. it was just them walking out silently. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> they had told me I was shy. Yes. I stood there. Agreeing with them, frankly, uh, and then incrementally every year. In 2002, I was very lucky because the the venue I was doing the show after me was Flight of the Concords, and then the show after that was one called Humor Beasts, which was Jermaine from Flight of the Concords and Taika Waititi, who now has won Oscars yeah. and directs the Thor movies and whatnot. And they became my best friends. And I, I play piano with Flight of the Concords now. And so it, it, it was just this yeah. gradual. When I, when I was 23, I had no idea really about the comedy that I wanted to do. But then I began to assemble around me a group of other people who didn't know what sort of comedy they wanted to do either. And yeah. they were... Daniel Kitson and John Oliver and Josie Long and oh, Concords right. and uh, what's a yeah. good roll call? Yeah, yeah we, we. What happened to John Oliver? We don't hear much about him anymore, <laughs> do we? I think he's a gas fitter now. Yeah, and, uh, and he's happy. He's happy doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we we we. I, I I've learned everything in these uh yeah. sw- in these sweaty sweaty holes. Yeah. and uh, I continue to come back. Or super spreaders, we now call them. <laughs> 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 uh, what's it? Yeah. I, uh, so, so it was in 2020. I was meant to come here, and mm. then I don't know if you guys had it here, but someone had a bat, and we all just stay indoors for two years. Yeah. And uh, but my first thought was, let's get straight back there yeah. and uh, and do it. And you know, some of my contemporaries went on to become arena selling megastars, and I don't think they'd be bothered uh, coming back to the fringe anymore. But I. Absolutely. It's it's the Tour de France of the year, really. It's the thing that I build the rest of my... It's the Tour de France with different drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, alcohol. <laughs> well, that, that's praise indeed from you to say the Tour de France. So you're so into into cycling to say the Tour de France. But uh, just, you, you come here, obviously, uh, pretty looks like every year, uh, virtually, uh, you can. And you've had these successes here, award winnings, sold out shows. But you go to other festivals as well in uh, Australia and around the world. How, how do those compare to the Edinburgh Fringe? Are they just pale copies or are they, you know, equally sort of enjoyable as far as you're concerned i mean you go to you go to sydney comedy festival and they're they'll describe it as it's like the edinburgh comedy festival of the southern hemisphere and it's a three-night festival yes uh, <laughs> where everyone's delighted to see you and the and the gig goes fine and the papers all give you lovely reviews yeah and you're like nah this ain't it nah. <laughs> like, like robert yeah. shaw and jaws just yeah. looking out the window talking yeah. about ss indianapolis and showing all the scars in his legs yeah. that's how i feel about this Festival. You want the challenge here. You're going to. You, you might have people walking out. Your review maybe not as good as last year, or or this guy's rubbish. You you want to have that threat yeah. to give it some bite. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, you you come along here with a new show every single time, and I mean the 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 beautiful and infuriating thing about comedy is you never suss it. You mm, never. No. You constantly think oh god i hope this is good you know and there's the thrill and the opening few nights where you're trying out the bits and the people are laughing and then you streamline it over the course of the run and this is a a process that i i i love maybe it's the samuel beckett quote of the sun sean and the nothing new knowing no alternative but i do love coming here Mm. and doing this and all of us going for a delicious creamy pint afterwards. Yes. And shaking hands. And particularly my contemporaries would be people like Tim Key. And, you know, we've been doing it for the, the same length of time. And we still 
We're yeah. still coming back. We love it. Well, look, David, thank you very much for coming onto this show with me. I have to choose uh, the wonder of wonders from your list of seven, the one which struck me as particularly wonderful, as you described on this podcast. And I was tempted by several of them. Uh, but I think because I've got an idea we, this may crop up uh, more than once while we're here in Edinburgh. Uh, I think the Edinburgh fringe will crop up uh, as a suggested thing. So I'm going to make that the your wonder of wonders or my selection of your wonder of wonders so that I, I've dealt with that and nobody else can have that as their wonder of wonders. Uh, but uh, I, hope, uh, I hope you agree. We all enjoyed uh, being uh, an hour in the company of David O'Doherty and finding out about his wonders. An interesting and eclectic mix. Um, some, you know, very pertinent perhaps to your career. Some, as you say, just the thing you happen to be eating at the time you were writing it down. <laughs> uh, but perhaps we would give uh, David O'Doherty a, a round of applause. For- If you enjoyed listening to My Seven Wonders, it'd be wonderful if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform, site or provider you found us on. Thank you very much. My Seven Wonders with Clive Anderson is a Stack production in association with Alaska TV and powered by the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.